All right. So we are on the sentence that begins for although. Do you see where that sentence begins? I don't have pages. You guys have a different print than me. The columns are laid out differently. It's so very easy. For although the Torah has been clothed. Yes? Yes. For the Torah has been clothed in lower material things. Now, right, this is the, the what is he what is he addressing? Is that it would appear that there is a barrier between us and Hashem because even though Hashem and the Torah are one, right, but the Torah has been clothed in stuff, right? Examples would be what's the Torah? What? Shabbos candles, which are made of wax, right? It's filling. Right, so made of leather, right? There's this thing which is not Hashem, right? And that's, so how do you say it's like a direct contact with Hashem? It's not a direct contact, but there's this physical thing in between us, right? Okay, so what I want to do is like this. I'm going to, and we're going to learn this the simple way. The simple way is not wrong, it's just simple. After you do the simple way, we're going to learn the deeper way, okay? Okay, so... This is by, it is by way of illustration like embracing the king. There's no difference in regard to the degree of closeness attached to the king, whether that embracing the king, the latter is wearing only one robe or several robes, so long as the royal person is in them. Okay? What, what does that mean? That means like this. If, you, if you're hugging the king, and the king is wearing one layer of clothing, or the king is wearing many layers of clothing, right? Does that change what it means to hug the king? No, no right? Likewise, right? 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 The, all that matters is, are you hugging the king or are you hugging the royal robes? If you go over to a mannequin wearing the royal robes, like that's not very good, right? Okay, so now, how does that answer the question? So our question was, how do we say we're having direct interaction with Hashem isn't the, isn't the Torah, which is Hashem, clothed in the physicality of the mitzvah that we're doing? What's the answer? It's still Hashem inside. Right, which doesn't make sense because there's still a barrier. Right, so what was the question? What's the answer? Like, what shifts in the thinking, right? We originally think that the physicality is a problem, and they should think it's not a problem because of the analogy. No, it's not a barrier. Why? It's a barrier. It's part of who he is. It's a barrier. It's part of. Oh no, no, it's part of who he is. Okay, so this, so so the, so the thing is like this. Let, let's go to the analogy of clothing because that's what you're getting at, right? Okay, we can divide the world into two. This is gonna be a simple version. Okay, we can divide the world into two things. The physical world is divided into two things. You, and what's the other category? Yeah. The physical world is divided into two things. Oh. You and everything else? You and everything else. Very good. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. That's weird. 
Yeah. <laughs> Why is that weird to think? Why would you be in a separate category of everything else? <laughs> yeah. You could say people are not people. Your no, 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 no. What was that? You don't understand the reason why we differentiate between you and everyone else? I mean, yes, but you, but I mean, fine, but it's still true, right? Like, there's you, and like, so for instance, if someone wants to talk to you, there's you, and there's other things that aren't you, right? Yeah, I guess so. It's a useful category. Yeah? It's not the only category in the world to divide the world. Okay. So now, your car, you or not you? Not you. Not you, right? Good? Mm-hmm. Okay. What about your clothing? Not you. Something you use, just like a chair. Okay, that's not correct. It's not Why? something used just like a chair. It's similar. It's not you, right? Can we all agree your clothing is not you? Yeah, yeah it's not you. It's not you. Why is it not just like a chair? I sit in this chair all day, more than often than I wear a lot of my clothing. Because. Do I identify with your chair? No, it's not about identifying the chair. It's because, no, because, because, because what is, what is the difference, what is the difference between clothing and other things is that clothing, you wear the clothing. You don't wear a chair. That's right. Now, what does it mean you wear clothing? It becomes a part of you. Right. In other words, while you're wearing it, right, it becomes part of your person, right? Right. So very, very simple observation, right? If somebody grabs you by the shoulder, right, we don't think of that as grabbing your property. We think of that as grabbing you even though you're wearing your shirt, right? right. Yeah. Okay. Right. But if somebody grabs the chair from underneath you, they grab the chair. You didn't grab you, right? Yeah. That's a clear difference, right? Yeah. So going in, the hugging, right, in the positive sense, right? right? If someone comes along and, like, hugs the chair while you're, that you're sitting or pats the chair on the back, that would be like weird, right? But if they're hugging you, right, or patting you on the back, right, the fact that you're wearing clothing is immaterial. But not hugging you dressed hugging you. Right. In other words, so we, we understand this idea intuitively that clothes have this ability to move out of one category into the other category, right? So me, myself, in the physical world, we divide into two. There's me, myself, which is my body, right? The edge of which are my nails and my hair, by the way. Where is that relevant for? No, that's relevant for going to the mikvah because only the mikvah you have to entirely immerse. What if hair is not immersed in the mikvah? Doesn't count, right? Because you're the part of physical world that counts as you is your body, and how, body extends even to these so-called lifeless parts, i.e., hair and nails. Good. Okay. And then there's everything else. Clothes, weirdly, although they in of themselves belong to the everything else, become for the duration of you wearing them part of. You, right? That makes sense? Yeah. Okay. So what does that mean about the physicality of a mitzvah? There's God and there's leather. Is leather God? No. But what happens when you do a mitzvah with leather? It becomes a part of God. Like like what? Like what? Like, you, like, 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 like you're grafting onto God something? No, like clothing. Like clothing, right? right? And so its status changes. And so the same way you wouldn't see it, the clothing as a barrier to embracing somebody, right? Yeah. Okay. You wouldn't see it as a barrier to Hashem, right? Now, this also, this also gets us a little added benefit, right? What if you put on tefillin and the tefillin are puzzle? 
or you light a Shabbos candle, but after the sun goes down. Well, what? You win because it's Forget, forget, forget whether it's an it's an area. That physical thing is that Hashem or is it not Hashem? It's not Hashem, right? That's going like hugging the king's clothes, but there's no king in there, right? Because again, the clothes are, when the clothes are on the hanger, they're not you. When you're wearing them, they are So the physical world, is it a barrier between you and Hashem or is it something that it helps you connect? Or is it, or, or, or is it part of connecting to Hashem? And the question is, is Hashem in the physicality? And that happens in the act of the mitzvah. Simple enough? Yeah. Okay, right. Now, side point, I mentioned this earlier. Now, when I'm doing mitzvah, does that necessarily mean I sense that Hashem is in the mitzvah? No. That's already considered a reward based, and that's because that's to do with my spiritual refinement, right? That's so difficult. It's extremely difficult. A lot of them, they don't. I would say, I would say on a conscious level, you never do. Yeah. Right. Unconsciously, you can pick up on it. But you don't realize, like, it's like, uncon- like so many stuff that affects you unconsciously, you're not aware. But consciously, to consciously sense that Hashem is in the mitzvah is being is experiencing what it's like to be a tzaddik, as I said yesterday. I mean, Because yeah. remember, take out the cognition, right? To reflect on what I'm doing is mitzvah, and that to be meaningful, is the, those, those experiences are the products of my mind, which is good. That's a, there's a mitzvah to, to, to do that, right? That's the love and fear that's invested in the mitzvah. That's wonderful. But that's not feeling the God in the mitzvah. That's feeling your value of the knowledge that Hashem's in the mitzvah. Good? Okay. Any questions on this before I do the deeper part? Yeah. What? That was deep? What? That was the... Look, the idea could be deep, but but it's the simple version of the idea. There is a deeper version of this idea. But, you know, it's like when you put on... I mean, if I was going to make an insulting joke, I'd say, I guess it makes you shallow. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> well, I was thinking, like, if you think, like, the kiddie pool is deep, right, then your sense of, you know, you have a different sense of shallow versus deep. But anyway. That's so deep, though. When I go on my toe, like, about to shut deep. It is deep. But there's a much deeper idea. On the surface level. That's right. Fine. I can be deep. Everybody can be deep. Really? Do you believe that? Yes. Even on Jews? Yes. <laughs> Do you want to hear a good story? Yeah. So the, 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 there was a person who came to the Rebbe. He was a, a, a he was religious. Like more like a Yeshiva University, more Orthodox style from what I understand. And he was, he wanted to know the Rebbe's advice on what he should do for graduate school. Um, and he's, he was looking either into going into education or psychology. What? So Rebbe told him he should go into education. What? So what's really amazing is what the Rebbe said. Why? The Rebbe said in psychology. Rebbe said in 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 education, the fundamental view of a person is to see them as good and that they have potential, and the question is just how to help bring it out. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to educate. And it says that, yes, you believe that people are deep, and you believe people are good, and you believe people are smart, and the question is, what can we do to bring that out? Yeah. But in psychology, there's a tendency to look at people as broken and need to be fixed. And so you'll develop a very pessimistic view 
that will have a negative effect on your life if you go into psychology, and you'll have a more optimistic view of life if you go into education. And he, of course, didn't listen, became a very, very, very successful psychologist, no and, he, and was interviewed, like, I don't know, 40 years later or something, and uh, he says, yeah, it's becoming to be recognized in a problem in psychology that there is a kind of pessimism that people have about people. Why did he go to the if he wasn't even <laughs> People are people. They do all sorts of things. I don't know. A lot of people ask for advice. If I had a dollar for every time someone asked me for advice, they did the opposite. I'm not the Rebbe, but like, he didn't come to the Rebbe. I mean, look, I, I can tell you stories of the Lubavitchers that asked the Rebbe and the, they didn't do what the Rebbe said. Yeah? Is it a bad thing when people Yes, it's a bad thing. Well, if you're asking and then you don't do it, then yes, why it's don't you even ask? Well, yeah. you you we do it all the time. No you don't have to study. I have to ask that you should be something and not do it. That's different. Not the Rebbe. That's different. Okay. Do you want me to tell you something really important about life? Do you want to know something really important about life? Okay. This has nothing to do with what we're learning, but this is a really important life lesson. Okay. Most people have the following view of people, which is there's a circle. Okay. Inside the circle is all the stuff that you would do, and outside the circle is all the stuff you would never do, and there's a red line that separates it. And so people say, I would never do this, and I would never do this, and I would never do this, and I would never do this. And you know what the answer to that is? That line does not exist. No, because you're presenting that yourself. More often than not, you're There is no such thing as what you would not do. Why? Because you've never had to be, you've never been there? Because what ends up happening is, this is, it's all centered around where you are at the moment. But what happens if you move, let's say, down and you do something a little negative? Now where are you? You're here. And guess what happens to this circle? You do the never. It just moves around wherever you are. So you're, it's like, it's like your sense, it's like the horizon. The horizon just stays, right? So the stuff you would never do is just the stuff that's too far away from where you are at the moment. But if you move towards the stuff you would never do, you know what you'll discover? That you... You're perfectly capable and willing to do it. Mm-hmm. Both in terms of negative things and in terms of? So, right, this is why, like, this is why our sages say ne- persons never trust themselves. Never say, I would never do that. What do you mean you wouldn't do that? I mean, you, maybe you wouldn't do it now, because you're not there now, right? But get there, and you'll see if you never do it. Right. No, you don't, no one's saying. No, I need to I know, um, I had right. the experience once before and I was thinking something. Yeah. So, I mean, this is one of the reasons why the Rebbe keeps pushing people in a certain direction. Like, I can't go there, that's too much for me. And then it's like, just keep going. And you know what you discover when you keep going? That you can do it. That you can do it. But you can also as the negative, right? Okay, so, and that goes back to this idea of Yeshus, right? Like, that's, some people could know themselves so well that they know no matter what, where I am, I would never do it. It's not possible. Really? You know yourself so well? Oh, I'm doing sexual. Yeah, so you don't know yourself. Really? I don't know if you really I mean, know. I mean, like, you read stories. You read Sadiq or whatever, that's like... Well, like, I, I, like we learned in psychology about, like, the Nazis and where it came from, how they did that. And, like, they were normal, nice people, mm-hmm. and they were put... And, like, we all said we would never do that. It's not true. Have you read the book The Wave? Oh, yeah. oh my God! So I'm talking about the like experiments that they did. 
Why? What? You know, there was there was there was a Yochanan Kohen Gadol. Yochanan Kohen Gadol, he served eighty years as the Kohen Gadol. He went into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. And if you were a wicked person, you didn't survive that. Eighty years. What happened at the end of his life? He became a heretic. He denied the truth of the Torah. Yes. Yes. We know exactly how. The, the way the story, well, basically, there's an issue that a Kohen's mother has to, um, not every woman is capable of being a Kohen's mother without getting into all the details. A Kohen. Not, uh, just because a woman is Jewish doesn't mean her, she, her children are Kohanim. So even if she marries a Kohen, right. So the rabbis made some, the rabbis made some rules to expand the status of which women cannot be the mothers of Kohanim. And then there was a controversy about whether his mother was such a woman. And someone who decided to start spreading rumors that the rabbis were of the opinion that he wasn't really a valid Kohen. And that started to irk him and it got to the point where he decided to like throw off the whole idea that the sages have any integrity and, and just become a re- reject the entire oral Torah. What? Because? Your red line is, is mo- your red line is just twenty feet from wherever you are. So you move; it's twenty feet further, and you. Which is why, like, you, if you can make your life more connected to someone else in a real way, things are going to get better. All right, good. Okay, so that was like not. I mean, maybe, but some deep reason that's connected. But I think that's an important thing to know in life, because we look at people all the time like, I would never be like that. I would never do that. Or the reverse. We look at someone and say, I could never, I could never, like, I shouldn't even aspire to that. And the answer is like... But I feel like in life, as you grow, you start losing that a little. Like, you start yes. not expecting things from people. Like, as a teenager, it's very much so like, how could my teacher do this? And how can I do this? Like, if she were... I think as you grow, you just... Meaning, like, you don't get surprised anymore. Yeah, I'm always like... Right, but then the thing is to, then the thing is to start realizing that about yourself. And then to start, then I'll add one dangerous thing. At a certain age, you can't live in your parents' house anymore, apparently. Yeah, I can't live you, have, I, have I told you the story of Reuven, the, the, the analogy of Reuven Dunin and the bicycle? What? Reuven Dunin and the bicycle? No, I don't think so. Okay, there was a chassan named Reuven Dunin. Have I mentioned Reuven Dunin? No. Mm-hmm. Reuven Dunin was a Balshuva. Like a real Balshuva. Like grew up religious, left it, went to a secular kibbutz, anti Judaism, and then. That? Came back. And he was like, everything you read about like the Baltruva, like the real Baltruva, like pouring out his heart. It's a person who cried every night when saying Shema over his sins. He passed away, I think, 10 years ago or something. Yeah. He, he, he was a construction worker, he drove a tractor. And one of his things that he was very, he was a very perceptive person. He, he, like the idea that everything teaches you something in life, everything's a way of learning how to serve Hashem was something very real to him. Even before he became going back to being religious. There was an idea that you should learn from every experience. So he had an analogy of a bicycle. There's an even like an Israeli song. Yeah, Mashallah. Yeah. Mashallah Fanai. But I didn't have, I thought it, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he didn't make the song. One of his mushpai made the song. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, basically the analogy goes like this. If you're going uphill, sorry, if it's hard, you're going up. If it's easy, you're going down. And if you don't move, you fall over. 
That's it. So... That's all you need to know in life. So that little dot, right? And this is the bad. And this is the good. Like, th if this is moving up, it's going to be hard. If this is moving down, it's going to be easy. And if you think you're not moving, that's the hardest part. Then you're then you're going down the bad real fast. That's the hardest part. It's very slow. That no one says they have to move up fast. It's not a steep fall. It's a slow fall. No. And actually, especially if you're riding a bicycle, you can get up a hill fast, you're more likely to end up there, right? Yeah. So that's, and that's a really true. It's like, it doesn't, like, the idea of, like, really, you have to be growing. If you're not growing, and it speaks a lot about the different stages of growth. There's building, there's sometimes growth involves dismantling, but. Okay, the deeper idea. You ready for the deeper idea? Yes. Okay. I don't know, I'm actually ready, but I want to be. Well. <laughs> okay. So in the analogy, we're contrasting whether the king is wearing one garment or several, several garments, right? Okay. So what I want, so now, that the question was that we have the Torah with physicality, and we have the Torah without physicality, and without physicality is not available to us. With physicality is a barrier, right? Yeah. Okay. So, does everyone know the word nimshal? Yeah, wait. Uh, yeah, wait. I don't. The word nimshal is the analog of mushal. Mushal oh. is the analogy, so nimshal is the analog, okay? Wait, so, <laughs> it means the thing that the mushal is meant to explain to you. Oh, the message okay. of a parable. Yes. Wow. Okay, you know how Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The message of the nimshal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the nimshal. So the nimshal. The nimshal is we had the Torah. Which we've said that the Torah is equivalent to Hashem, right? But then, do we have the Torah which is equivalent to Hashem? No, we have the Torah. You have the Torah in physical things, right? And so the seeming of the physical things are a barrier to the Torah, which is Hashem, right? That was the question. We have two verses. There's the Torah, which is Hashem. Yeah. But then the Torah comes down to this world and is clothed in. And that physical, those physical things are seemingly a barrier, a barrier right? That was the problem? Yeah. Okay, what was the marshal that you used? Yeah. You have the king. Yeah. <laughs> you have the king. You have the king with... Many clothes, and you have the king with no. Ah, that's the thing, right? You would expect if this is the Torah and clothed in something else, and this is the Torah as it is, so then the marshal would be what? King without clothes. King without clothes. King with clothes, right? But was that the marshal? The marshal was king with one garment versus the king with many clothes. 
Right? And so keeping this idea that we know that Mishalim and Hasidus are very precise, there's something off here, right? Because he's saying it doesn't make a difference whether the king is wearing many clothes or one garment, but that wasn't my problem. My problem was do I get pure, you know, Torah or do I have Torah clothed in something else? So like the marshal doesn't match the Nimshal. I would expect that what would the marshal be? The king with no clothes versus? The king with one. Right? One or many, whatever. But the issue is clothes or no clothes, right? That's what seems to be over here, right? So that means we have to rework and understand that he's getting at something deeper than we've already discussed. Not that we discussed up till now is not correct, but this is going to be deeper. Yes, read it in the words. For although the Torah has been clothed in lower material things, it is by way of illustration like embracing the king. There's no difference in regard to the degree of closeness and attachment of the king, whether embracing the king the latter is wearing one robe or several robes. So the Torah without physicality is like the king with one garment. The Torah physicality is like the king with? So that's, but why, what does that mean? So, What? The whole Hasidus believes in giving Mashalim to explain things. Okay. So, remember we had the idea of the, we spoke about the idea of a garment. A garment is something that, um, something else. Like, just physically, a garment is something you put on. It isn't you, right? Yeah. But you can be present in the garment. Yeah. Okay. So we have to think over here, what does it mean that this is the king with a garment? Right? The Torah on its own, even before the physicality, is considered the king with a garment. And the physicality is just adding additional garments. So what does that mean the Torah is Hashem with a garment? Okay. Someone told me the following, and I want you to think of this, is this sound true, okay? We are what we want. We are our wants, we are, are our desires. We wish we were what we want, no? We are our desires. Yeah. Now this actually creates some problems because like for instance, like for instance, what if, you're desi- what if you desire to be a good person? So to make you a good person? No. no, but you are the desiring to be a good person, right? Which is like a, an interesting, it's not a matter, it's just an interesting, it requires a bit of maturity to be able to see yourself that way, right? An immature person says, I desires to be a good person, so then they're convinced they are a good person. They discover they're clearly not a good person, so then they're like, they have a crisis. The more mature person is like, no, I am my, des- I am my desire to be a good person, but I'm desiring, in some sense, I am my desire to be more than I am, and there's a, there's, there's a, 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 a certain kind of depth and a certain kind of richness of what it means, right? That, so it's not like, people like, well, who are you? I like eating chocolate. I mean, so you just eat chocolate. But no, there's something, we are a, des- we are a desire for something beyond ourselves. And, and, and in a certain sense, if you can get the thing you desire so easily, then that's not the kind of desire that's really who you are. Does that make sense? Yes. Right? So there's like this perpetual tension in who we are because we are 
our desires, but our, our genuine deepest desires are for things that are never, can never be fully satisfied. And not because of silly things like going so much chocolate, because that, like being a good person, like there's no such thing as really attaining being good. You're like, oh, I graduated, I'm a good person, done. That, 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 that's silly, yeah? What happens to us when we lose desire on that level? Depression. That depression. If we lose desire on that level, right? We 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 we're dying. And if you lose it enough, then we're we're psychologically dead. And God forbid you lose it completely. Then we're vegetable. Right? No, but right. So so. Right. No, vegetable is a is a physical illness. No desire is a physical emotional. No, it it eventually plays a role physically as well. Okay. Yeah. So you, so this so you, this sense of self. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Is very much wrapped up in this notion of desire. That makes sense? Yeah. But, and there's, again, if you're shallow and superficial, you either convince yourself that you've attained your desires or you desire things that are easily attainable. Mm-hmm. But then you're, not, then, you're, then you're living a deluded sense of self. Yeah. Good? So, yeah. Okay. How do you say soul in Hebrew? Yeah. Nefesh. 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 Okay. Do you know nefesh actually means desire? Yeah, nefesh, one of the meanings of nefesh is, is desire. So, for instance, there's a phrase that is found in the Talmudic literature, memonafshach, which means, what do you want? So it means self, it means desire, it means soul. And if you think about it, those three words and the concepts underlie them, they kind of, they touch on the same point. And if you lose your net, what does it mean to lose your soul? Without getting religious and mystical, a person who's lost their soul, what does that mean? Those dead, that deep desire of who we are, that makes us who we are, who we, that they've lost that. They've lost and they've lost themselves, right? Right. This is the issue of being. This is all. This is the issue of being a teenager. It's an issue people have in midlife crisis. That people have when they marry off their children. They can sometimes lose that. And then how do you reclaim that? You get, right? You get what I'm saying? So, so this idea of nefesh of desire. Why after marriage do you feel like what now? Yeah, that, I, I, like, like there was, right, and so like, I am that desire to raise these children, but there's no children to raise, and so it's like, so you have to. What? Okay. My my point is is this is this a real this is a genuine struggle because in some sense it, without our desire we are not. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like now just to put this in educational context. Right. If you don't have a living for something, then you're not living. Yeah. That's why I wish our desires could always just be in hope, like in holiness. But for some reason it can't, and that's the struggle of being a bainani, right? That's the struggle is that I I have conflicting desires, conflicting senses of self, and how do you deal with that? Okay, but I want to. So, what happens if the way you educate somebody is to impose upon and not give any room for that element of nefesh? What do you end up with? Do you end up with a person at the end of that process? No. With a shell. End up with a shell. Maybe a very nice looking shell, but. Probably not a shell. No, you can actually very, very nice looking shell. In fact, usually, this is something Chassidim used to forbang about a lot, is if you, if, you, if, you, if you push away the nefesh and you don't care about the nefesh, you can get the shell, the exterior, to be much, more, much nicer. 
I mean, what's easier to make a make up? Well, the first of all, we use a, a muscle. The muscle that we use is it's easier to have a perfect body proportions on a sculpture than a real human being. Yeah, because it's not real. <laughs> not real. So to have somebody who shows up every day on time, but that that's not coming from their nefesh is actually a much easier phenomenon to achieve than that comes because of their nefesh. Right, that's like a bunch of the difference between like our, the way we view the nefesh and other chassidim, right? Once mm-hmm. again, is that why, like, remember once you said the whole thing about like how we view ourselves and we're really not, is that the same thing a little bit? Well, that's another, right, that's another, what happens is if you, what because there, there's, like, there's, you become a professional faker nefesh. Faker nefesh. Yeah, like, you, you've ever heard the term chitzen? Yeah. You ever heard the term chitzen? Yeah. A chitzen means a a chitzen a chitzen a chitzen means a a person. Okay. Yeah, from chitzenius. You know, it, it's the most offensive slur in Chabad is chitzen. Meaning that everything is about what it looks like from the outside. Now, there's different levels of outside. One of the levels of outside is you did a really good job of like. Playing the role of somebody who's really into something, but you're not really into it. Yeah. A teacher to Yeah. Not appropriate. She was so offended. I would be. I mean, I, I've had friends call me a chitzin, but when your friend calls you a chitzin and it's a febrenian and like you're close, it's a different thing. And it wasn't. And it wasn't done as an insulting way. It was being honest. I think one of the characteristics of real friendships is friendships can, can, can point out the things about you that are really unpleasant and not only are you not offended, you, you appreciate that they well, it's honestly like coming from a teacher that I'm Yes. It makes sense. So, so you gotta so like we are so dependent on this thing of Nefesh, right? Which relates back to the idea of Simcha, right? Right? The more, the more that you're coming from this place of nefesh, then you're besimcha, right? And so then, this that thing about like simcha not needing breaking through barriers. Yeah. It doesn't make everything hefker and, and and you know chaotic. What it does is just that the things that are barriers aren't there. Why? Because you're in touch with what 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 you desire and what you aspire to and what drives what you're connected to and that's that's nefesh. And if you don't have that Well that has to do with like meaning someone who's working off their nefesh type of thing is more not consistent than someone who isn't. Usually. Usually it's easier to achieve consistency if you take the nefesh out of the picture. Which is why like if you want to create an institution to produce really good for me people you might want to be like actively suppressing nefesh. They don't have by to default. by default, but the trick is to arrange them so they don't. Wait, so that has a letter about this. You're more likely. You're more likely to be consistent. If you're, if 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 if, if, if it's no. you're more likely to be consistent. But that won't last forever. It'll eventually so collapse. If, if one is less consistent with their Yiddish guy, that's more penis? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. <laughs> like that's, that's reversing. No. I actually really see that. That if it's more chitinous, then it's more consistent. But, but if it's chitinous, it doesn't necessarily... It's consistent, but it's more real. Put the nefesh yeah. in a cage. Now, if you go long term, the whole life, nefesh... You, it's like, what kind of... It's like, if you look at nefesh long term, you'll see a greater... Because they're, they're really into this. They're really, 
Um, in the long run. Like, so, so, and there's a famous story. Mendel Futterfass was in, was in Siberia, and everyone was sad. Was in what? Was in a Siberian prison camp, and everyone was sad. And so he asked this guy, why are you sad? He says, well, I used to be a, a, a very wealthy person, and then I lost all my money and got sent to Siberia. Why are you sad? I used to be an important government official. And each person in the story, why are you sad? I used to be this, and now I'm not. And so, this is Mendel Futterfass. used to be but I, before I went to Siberia, I was a servant of Hashem. Now what does that mean, I was a servant? This is the trick. This is the part that you can miss. What does it mean when he says I was a servant of Hashem? Where was his nefesh? He was a servant of Hashem, is that, that was his title? No. Or he, that's, what, that's what he desired, that's what drove him. And that's what he's always trying to, to be but never could fully attain, right? That's Because that's nefesh, right? And was that true before he went to Siberia? Yeah. Was that true still in Siberia? Yeah. So therefore, he wasn't sad. That wasn't pleasant. Good. So do you see, like we're dependent on nefesh. Nefesh is us. Good. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. What? I don't know. But what? basically, we're all yes. takers. Yeah. What? No, don't 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 take it that way. We're all struggling with trying to figure out how to deal with this. Okay. Does it make you feel good that we're all struggling and not just you or whoever you're talking about? Okay, fine. I mean, we're all struggling with this. Okay, now, here's the thing. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Let me, let me put another thing, yeah? Why is davening hard for most religious Jews? Most religious davening is hard. Something that Bali Chuva often don't realize at first, but davening is hard for most Orthodox Jews. Why? You can concentrate. Because you're so used to it, you memorize everything, it's easy. You know, no. I think what's hard is staying in the I mean, that's hard because it's, it's boring. Time. It's, it's not hard. Time. It takes effort. What is davening? What is davening? Connecting. Who's connecting to Hashem? You. Ah, but if you're not there, because you are your nefesh, right? If No. Think about it. Can you, if, if you're, if, 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 if that, if your nefesh is into something, mm-hmm. right, it's a whole different thing, right? So if, 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 if I'm, if I'm feel a need to be closer to Hashem in my life and davening, I need, I need that, that time and that space to, to, to engage in, in different ways, then the whole thing is a different process. But if on the other hand, there's a sitter and the sitter demands that I say it, and the sitter demands that I say it with intention. And the sitter demands that I not mumble the words. Yeah. That's, that's a very different thing. Then it would be easier to daven. What? The sitter started demanding things. But no, I mean, but that's what is happening. And it's not easier because, because the, with the sitter, I don't mean the sitter like physically is talking to you. In your mind, right? There's a, one of the check marks you have to put in order to be a good person is you know, say the words of the sitter. Right. In other words, is the sitter fulfilling anything in my nefesh? Not necessarily. Any mitzvah, anything you do. Right. But, but other mitzvahs, we can wrap them in other stuff, like social things, or what? Well, or they don't take as long, right? Or they can be intellectually stimulating, right? But you, you and, you know, 35 minutes of Hebrew that you know by heart already, there's nothing to it other than 
So if I'm not there, if I'm not desiring, if I don't feel the need to try and connect to Hashem, then it's almost like you, you don't know what to do. I mean, I can say words, I can focus what they mean, but it's just like a... Mm-hmm. It's dry. Ritual. Yeah. Dr. writes, when Dr. was in prison and he was investigated in prison, so one of the things he says is that Jews worship God in two ways. We study Torah and we pray, but praying is hard and the art of prayer is lost and Chassidim is just recuperating that. And that comes down to because to pray to David means to have be in touch with nefesh. You can't, a, a, a shell, a product, a, 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 a character can't daven, can't pray, can't have any real relationships for that matter. And so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I tell you one time, Rabbi, someone asked Rabbi Steinzaltz, um, why is davening boring? Did I tell you the story? No. Someone once asked Rabbi Steinzaltz why davening was boring. And he says, it's not boring. I mean, the words are the same, but you're different every day. So, and then he walked away, and then Rabbi Steinzaltz, who was known to be quite, um, what's the word? Abrasive? <laughs> Comes abrasive. Shemesh Dainzelt walks back and says, I mean, if you're the same every day, then I guess you're the one who's boring. <laughs> but, I mean, think about it, right? If the same moda'ani means the same thing to me when I'm 25 as when I was 7, that's an issue with you. That's me, that's not the words on the page. Which is why Hasidus makes such so an important say, thing about davening. Yeah. 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 That's why the altar says that davening is like the spinal cord. It's it's yeah. the nervous system. If Judaism is a body, the nervous system, the, the spinal cord, the nervous system, the davening. And so without that, like you take the, you can have everything. Everything is there, but nothing will feel and nothing will move. Even if you have nefesh and other things you do, you think it's not real nefesh? No, because we have nefesh. Bahamas, nefesh. Okay, so it's complicated. I think if you have uh, the trick is, or passion in other things, and dalvin for you is more of a struggle. That means your nefesh isn't connected to God. Really? That's what I'm saying. It's Even connected. Even when you're doing Shabbos candles, you're like, well. Yeah, because you might have nefesh in, in, in some other thing, and Shabbos candles can be associated with that. Davening is, is kind of very confrontational because it's just God. It's just you. So if God. you don't have a good davening, no, if you're not working constantly on your dominance and you're real in other areas, you're missing a very, you're missing yeah. Now, what does it mean to work in your dominating? That becomes very individualistic, right? You can't, like, copy other people. And there was once a chassid asked her, Pilar Parch, she says, I, like, prepare myself for davening. Pilar Parch is a very famous mashbiya. I prepare myself for davening, and then I open up the sitter, and it's all dry. I feel very connected, and then I start saying the words, and it just doesn't work. And uh, Pillow said, look, it's not so bad to daven before davening. In other words, you need to have a little creativity about how to go about this, right? Words, if the sitter is a great tool to like, make your davening go to the next level, but there's almost presupposes that like you, like, oh, the avoid the shabalev, the davening that's inside of you, and then you know how to use the sitter, whatever. So like, I'm not saying like, you have to like, work on sitter saying, but yeah. Yeah, sometimes people have a hard time, especially in the beginning of, of davening, you know, even verbally. They need to daven in their, in their thought. Dr. Rebbe speaks that real davening happens in your head. 
And so, like, anyway, you get my saying? But, but the reason why I'm elaborating this is get so much how much nefesh is just not a thing, it's who we are. Yeah? Okay. So if you take away that desire, that yearning, that striving, right, then, then we're not. Yeah? At best, there's a shell left, and at worst, like, literally nothing left, God forbid. Okay. Are Terry Mitzvah Hashem's Ratzon? Yeah. If Hashem would just not have that Ratzon, would he not be? In other words, does he depend on desire the way we depend on desire? No. So for him, desire is what? Is himself or a garment? It's a garment. It's a garment. The very fact that Hashem is... What? Meaning he, meaning he doesn't depend on it. The Chassidus discusses how it's a garment that's different than other garments. Mm-hmm. But the key point here is, if we lose our desire, we've lost ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so in some sense, in some sense, every, in some sense, I'm, I'm beholden to, to, to the things that I desire because I need desire to be. But if Hashem, if desire isn't, he, he, the desire is an expression of him, but it's not, it doesn't define him, mm-hmm. then, then the desire, the coming down to us, is a garment. So what, what, what the altar is saying is like this. You think that you're connected to Hashem because you're doing his ratz and you're connecting to his nefesh. That itself for Hashem is a garment. Like, the idea that, you, that like, like the, Hashem is not the kind, like, I can have a very direct, I can have a very direct connection with another person. How? Well, my nefesh touches their nefesh, right? Uh, and that can happen in many ways. Friendships, the teacher and a student, you know, marriage, parents and children, right? Even a random stranger that can be, a, nefesh can touch nefesh, right? Do everyone get what I mean when I'm saying that? Like, okay. And there's nothing deeper than that, right? Right. Now, I'm saying, if it turns with Hashem, your nefesh and his nefesh can, can, can touch, right? That you do a mitzvah out of love for Hashem, right? So your nefesh is there. He's there because it's his ratz. And he says, you have to understand, for Hashem, there's something deeper even still that he has a level of being that goes beyond that. So his, his being with you and that, that, that nefesh, that, that, that thing, is for him in some sense just a garment. And that doesn't mean to take away, and that doesn't take away from the connection, but realize that your connection with Hashem is always through something. It's never this raw thing. But I felt like the whole point of this world and the whole thing we're saying it's only as when you do a mitzvah, you're not getting shem, you're getting shem himself. You are. And this becomes a, this another another what his point is, you're getting a shem himself. And the and the garment doesn't interfere. So going here, and that's what he's saying, he's saying, when you get when you when you get Hashem's Ratsun, are you getting Hashem himself or are you getting the garment? So go back to the mushal. When you hug the king, yeah. does it matter that he's wearing a garment? No. What's that, right? So, so in other words, like this. There's a kind of garment, in other words, like this. Yeah, if I put on a mask that covers my face, right, that's a barrier between us, right? right? But if a, if a person is wearing a shirt, that's not a barrier for hugging, right? So even though Hashem's rotsen is, is, is not, is, 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 is is not his very being, the way our Ratzon is our very being. But, is it a barrier? No. 
No, Ratzin is the very Ratzin is the very the very notion of a mitzvah, the very notion of Hashem engaging. Right. So even before there's a tear in this world, the tear in physicality, there's already uh, a garment. A garment. But does that garment the barrier? No. So the author was saying, just like the garment of the Ratzin is not a barrier, so too, none of the, the physicality is also not a barrier. In other words, what the author was saying is, is that Hashem, we're, we're connecting to Hashem because of his Ratzin, but his Ratzin isn't, is, is not, the, the problem with words is that you can say words, and they, mean, and they can mean opposite things. Hashem is not his Ratzin. What do I mean by that? I mean that when we lose our Ratzin, what do we've lost? Everything. Everything. We've lost our nefesh, right? Lost our, right? Nefesh means both will and self. When if Hashem wouldn't have a Ratzin, he would still be himself. So in that sense, he's not his Ratzin, right? But on the other hand, my Ratzin isn't really me, right? Because my Ratzin, is, it means I'm, I'm, I'm beholden to other things, I'm, right? I, I need this other thing. And so I, there isn't the true deep self behind all of that. Whereas Hashem, you could say the opposite. His Ratzin really is himself because his Ratzin is nothing other than him reaching out. So this whole ruts and thing is, in some sense, it's a kind of a garment. And that garment isn't the barrier. The physicality is no more of a barrier. Don't, in other words, realize that the fact that there's a layer is not the same thing as there's a barrier. And he's saying that the most sublime kind of layer, which is not really a barrier, is Hashem's Ratzon. The physicality is no more of a barrier than that. And that means that when we're, that means, and the author is saying is that we're connecting to Hashem actually on a level deeper than Ratzon. Because says, what's the king now? We have the king, the one garment, and the many garments. The one garment is what? Is the will. The many garments is the physicality. And what's the king? The king is Hashem himself. And we're saying is, if you have the will, and you have the garment, but you don't have the king, it doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have the king, right? So his point is, we're actually connecting to Hashem deeper than you can connect to a person. With a person, what's the deepest thing you connect to? Their soul. Their soul. There's nothing deeper than their soul. In their there's, right, there's their soul, their rust, their desire. Their, there's nothing deeper than that, right? Yeah. With Hashem, you could, the the the, the and the nefesh, the soul, the desire. That itself is just a way of being connected to something deeper than that, an unspeakableness. Mm. Are we aware of it? What? Are we aware of it? Not at all. Not at all. And Alterbe goes on to say, uh, goes on to say that in truth, this yeah, deep connection, even a tzaddik gomor, a complete tzaddik who does a mitzvah, doesn't actually have any sense of this. Wow. So who has a sense of it? Just Hashem. Just Hashem. And your neshama. Your neshama. Your neshama. Your neshama. The, the deepest part of your neshama, and us after the resurrection of the dead. Really? Yeah, the Alter says later on in time, when you talk about the level of Hashem's desire and this, the will, the tzaddik is aware of it and we're not. So we're like, we're like animals living without any awareness and they're like people. But if you talk about the deepest, deepest truth of Hashem, that Hashem is, is not his ratzon, in the way that we are our ratzon, Hashem is, Hashem's desire isn't himself, but yet his self is in it, so we're connecting to himself, then on that level, us and the Rebbe and Moshe Bain are all the same. That the very being of Hashem we're connecting to in the mitzvah is, is, is beyond even this highest garment, the garment of, of the desire. And if, and if you realize that that's 
Not a barrier to connecting themselves. You add a little physicality, a little wax, that's gonna make a difference? It's a joke. Now, if I'm crass, I don't, I don't appreciate any of this. Right. So it turns out that we're connecting to, to something so deep that it only exists in Hashem, it doesn't exist in us even. The deepest we can go in ourselves is our soul, our desire, our deepest drives. And with Hashem, that is just a garment to connect it to something deeper than that. Okay, so now, I want it. Okay. How did the Ten Commandments start? Hashem. No. They start out with the word Anochi. Okay, what does Anochi mean? I. Okay, so now, and I mentioned this before about how the four letters of Hashem's name represent different levels of godly manifestation. Okay, so the four letters of Hashem's name are there's a Yod, there's a Hey, there's a Vav, and there's a Hey. Now you're wondering why I made the Yod like that, you'll notice in a second. You'll explain. What's this Hey? This Hey represents Hashem's. Malchus, Hashem's sovereignty. Oh, right. okay. The Vav is what? His Malchus, his sovereignty. Okay. His, okay. The Vav represents. The Vav represents. The, like the emotions, right? Okay. There's different ways of explaining it, okay? The He, this He represents the Bina, okay? And this represents the Yod as the wisdom of Hashem, good? Okay, what's this? The, 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 right, the point, that point where the line begins, that point, that's Hashem's? It's called kites. Kites. The point on top of the earth. And the point means that it just has location, it has nothing to it, right? It's not even a dot. Right? It's, it's where that little dip begins. That's Hashem's Ratzon. Okay, what is Anoichi? Is Hashem his 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 sovereignty, his emotion? Sorry, what's that again? Midas. Midas. Is it his sovereignty? Is it midas? Is it his bina? Is it his chachma? No, it's not even his. Because before you have before you have Hashem's name, you have anoichi. So what is the king? In the analogy, the king is not. The, this is a garment. This is the king. And this is the sense that Hashem has a sense of an eye that we don't have. Because when we say eye, the deepest thing we can mean is yeah, my desire, my passion, my nefesh. And Hashem has an eye that's that, that even if even if there's no malchus, no midas, right? No bina, no chachma, even if the Hashem would not have a ratzon, he would still have a sense of his own being. And that's what he puts into the garb of desire and ultimately in the garb of the physical thing and that's what you're connecting to so it's deeper you're connecting to something that's it's not just the deepest part of Hashem but it's a depth that only Hashem could have that we can't we don't have and that's why the Alter Rebbe doesn't say it was like the king with no clothes versus many clothes because even the pure Torah that you can conceive of is still a form of a garment and what you're actually getting is not the garment but the king in the garment the eye in his desire that only happens in this world. And that only happens in this world.
And so it turns out, like, like being hung up with the fact there's a little bit of wax or leather involved is like, it's silly. Okay? Now, we can definitely be frustrated that we don't feel this and we have to learn it out of a book. Right. And that's fine. To be frustrated by that is fine as long as that frustration is constructive. It leads you to grow and to change and to work on yourself and to bring Mashiach and the resurrection of the dead. That's what we want. We're lacking something, right? We want Mashiach. We're lacking why that you, awareness. Why do you say like that? Like, what? Why do I say what? As opposed to what? I don't know. I mean, there's a technically a difference between Mashiach's coming and Tchias Mesa. And the main thing is the Tchias Mesa. It is? Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Now you know. Alright. Good? Yeah. Okay. Fine. Likewise, the king, for his part, embraces one with his arm, even though he's dressed in his robes, as written, and his right hand embraces him, which refers to the Torah, was given with the Shem's right hand, which is the quality of chesed and water, right? Now, the, the, the thing here at the end, is he, he mentions both you hugging the king and the king hugging you back. And this is the idea that, that really, as we spoke about before, a mitzvah is performed in fully in a sense that you're trying to connect to Hashem, meaning you have love, so you're, 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 if you do a mitzvah, without love, then the king is embracing you, but you're not really embracing, embracing him. And so there's no real sense of him embracing you back. Right. Right? So it's meant that you embrace the king, meaning you're investing your love in the mitzvah, and he's embracing you back, that he is present in this ratzon, in this physicality with you. Okay. And then when you love Hashem, you're not doing like that. that that's meaningless. There's nothing. But is the idea to do dry, meaning dry, emotionless mitzvahs? Is that what Alter was trying to say here? No. no, not at all. Good, we finished chapter four just in time for Purim. And Purim was, in fact, this time when the Jews accepted the Torah. And physically, which is why we physically eat and drink right now, like in Kippur. We accepted the Torah. Yeah. And it's specifically physical. All right. Good? Yes. Yay. Okay. What are you guys doing for Purim? Good question. <laughs> you don't know yet? No, we do. No, we don't. We don't really know. Because guys, you have a curfew in front of you. There's no curfew on Sunday. I'm saying, like, we're going to hear Mishila at the school tomorrow. On Friday, right? Very fast.